This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh! The Horror. It's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a casual's perspective. I'm the newcomer and casual Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And today I think I was probably the most pleasantly surprised coming into this review Oh yeah. Uh, for Event Horizon, the Paul W.S. Anderson cult classic from 1997 yeah man this uh this is a shocker of a, of a film like as far as being of paul ws anderson's canon um it, it's in it's kind of incredible because yeah. paul ws anderson legendarily known for pretty much almost all of the resident evil movies from yeah what he's best known um, for. he he's known for giving us the first film adaptation of mortal Kombat back in 1995 uh, which I saw in theaters. When I also saw Event Horizon in theaters, I was one of the few who actually went to go see it. Um, then he directed Soldier in 1998 with Kurt Russell. Now, I was expecting Soldier to be amazing because I liked Event Horizon, and I was like, this will be a great follow-up. It, it, it was not very good. Um, no, and then he got a hold of Resident Evil and decided that in order to get his dream project, Alien vs. Predator, he was going to make Resident Evil like an alien film instead of making it a Resident Evil film, which is why it has a very strange tonal feel and shift to it throughout. Um, and then he just keeps going down. Then he makes Alien vs. Predator. That doesn't go well because apparently there was issues with him and Fox and what they wanted and what he wanted. Bad that that ended up turning out to be a disaster. Uh, then he does Death Race, a remake of the original, and that was it was unnecessary, you know, another movie like that. Uh, and then he just keeps making Resident Evils. Like I guess he doesn't do the second one. He walks away from that, gets someone else to do it, and then he directs every single one afterwards. So here's the thing that I've kind of gone gleamed from Paul W.S. Anderson that like he is a couple of he is quite a few ranks but not that many ranks above Uwe Boll or somebody like where Uwe Boll I mean Uwe Boll yeah I would say he's above that and oh I'm sorry I gotta actually step back slightly he directed four of the six Resident Evils so that's still pretty a majority bad. That's, that's actually him, yes. not gonna. That's not gonna help him anyway. That's still, it's still, still pretty rough. But, uh, um, but getting getting to my point about like how I he's almost sort of comparable to Uwe Boll in in my sense where he gets these projects and he keeps getting them and we we like to clown on him, but most of right. the movies that he has made, bad as they are, they find ways to endear themselves, even in some ways. Because I've seen quite a few Resident Evil movies. And I have a good time at how bad they are. They're, they're a fun bad. They're glorified they're... music videos. That's all they are. Right. It's kind of he set he he creates set pieces to be a music video backdrop so his wife Mila Jovovich can do a bunch of crazy action scenes. Which you know what, man, 
Like, you have the ability good, good, to good do that you, now. Man. Well, and that's the thing. He's getting the funding to make Hollywood films, you know? And, and he's still able to do it. Like, right now, I think he, it says he's in pre-production for Monster Hunter. So he likes doing these video game adaptations, which is fine. Uh, you know, make your money, do whatever. Um, it, the Yui Bowl, that's the one that I'm always... I, the guy doesn't really make movies anymore, but there was a time where any th every movie he was making was a, some somehow a video game adaptation, and they were all complete garbage because none of them stuck to the original source material. But I think he was getting money from uh, a lot of independent producers. Rarely did Hollywood ever touch any of his films. So, right. but but each one is kind of like in their own right a master of how do they keep getting money to make these films? You know what, man? Good on you. And when when we take a look at Event Horizon, the yeah. third major motion picture, I would have greenlit the next thing that he made in an instant because in a I absolutely yeah. loved this movie. Like this, this is yeah. so fun. This but is the, such here's a the fun thing, movie. man. The studio did not. Uh, you know, it, it did not make them money. The audiences didn't want to see it. The critics hated it. It made, I think, like twenty million based on a sixty million dollar budget. Like, it did not do well at all. And I, honestly, if I were to, I did not know until I looked at the IMDb today when yeah. this movie was made. It was made in 1997. This movie was easily five years ahead of its time. Yeah. This movie is so, like, I can see influences of, like, this influences The Matrix. This influences yeah. uh, the Danny Boyle film Sunshine, just to, like, right off the top of my head. Easily, this influences yeah. Interstellar. This and like there is so many like great things and great movies that this movie is pulling from like straight up alien vibes in the beginning of this. Right. Well, I mean, it's uh, basically it's like it's it's a combination. It's basically Hellraiser in space, um, yes. with a very haunted house vibe to it. And I think that's how it was pretty much pitched. And something about this movie too that you know people might not know is that it was. I guess from start to finish, pre-production to post, this movie was done in ten months. Pre-production to post. I thought they just shot this in ten months. They no, did I, no, this no, no, in no, 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 no. This whole thing from pre to post was ten months. It was an extremely, extremely fast turnaround. Um, so trying to get something like this made, edited. I guess the original version was like two hours and ten minutes, and it was super violent and like over-the-top gore, and it was this just absolutely ridiculous film. And then I guess when it was screened, the studio was like, no, this is not happening, you're not doing this. And the audiences were like, this is a little too much. So they ended up cutting it down severely, it kept getting hacked and hacked and hacked. And now that it's become a cult classic, everyone wants this footage. And last year, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson was, you know quoted saying that it's pretty much lost to time you know it might be hidden away somewhere but that original work print cut will never fully be recreated because this was before people were doing a lot of digital stuff so nothing was backed up online um and that well, sucks as man unfortunate as, and, and as unfortunate <clears throat> as we have are losing that work print uh what we have here yeah. is actually really interesting because from what you said that, that that this is only a 10 month movie i would have never guessed it because nothing in this movie looks rushed absolute stellar production yeah. value i think probably the best set design i have seen in quite a long time the sets yeah. in this movie are incredible 
Like, actually incredible. Right from the bridge of their ship mm. to the stasis chambers uh, to that, like, basically, like, meat grinder hallway to the yeah. sphere. Like, the gateway sphere. All oh, amazing. Man. Majority of which are practical, I can imagine. No, it's it's pretty much all. Like, uh, for for most of it, it's, it's practical. And then, you know, any of the stuff that's floating around. I remember watching the behind-the-scenes documentary when this movie was about to come out. I think it was an HBO first look, and they were showing how they were doing the digital effects and talking about how crazy this stuff was. But I'm looking at, like, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the set being like, holy crap, man, this set is super awesome. And when they decorate it with a blood and gore, especially with some of the light and shadow scenes that you get during some of these, uh, you know, uh, when, when Kathleen Quinlan's character is walking through... And being like, no, there's no one here. Everything seems fine. And behind her, you see like a flash of light from the storm from the nearby planet. And you're like, holy crap, there's skulls and gore everywhere. It, it This movie, this movie almost remind it. This was around the time also when people wanted to make Doom into a movie. This was the first, like, when Doom was being talked about as a film and Tom Berenger was going to be the Marine. This came out instead, and it kind of felt like it was paying homage to Doom at the same time. It felt like Gateway to Hell, in space, like, if only we went through the Gateway to see what's really on the other side, you know what I mean? Exactly. I I could only imagine the types of... Uh... The, the thoughts that were going through people's heads as they were seeing something like this, because oh, yeah. I could have sworn that this was coming out in, like, 2002. Because, again, when we talk about the look of this film, right. it's very... It has this type of look that I've only noticed in early 2000s, late 90s movies, where everything is very well lit. Like, actually, yeah. like, it, like, shot in coverage, colors are very well pronounced, yeah. uh... Everything is seen well as opposed to this realistic artistic lighting type of thing that we get to see in modern movies now, which is is good. It looks it can look amazing sometimes, but I also think that there's a fun novelty to the way that this movie looks that it 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 keeps me at a distance as far as actual scares are concerned, like for some. But I think overall, like this is the perfect look. Everything like fires on all cylinders for the way this looks and you mentioned uh, can we just talk about this how stacked this cast is dude this cast this cast like let, let's go through it so we're starting off with captain miller played by lawrence fishburne hell yes amazing like, and you mentioned amazing. the matrix so like D- uh, doing an amazing yeah. like literally like taking that tone bar for bar Oh, he's so with- he's so good he's so good in this as as uh captain miller like very very defined in that role. Then you have Sam Neill, Jurassic Park fan. Hell yes. As Dr. Weir, he designed the event Horizon. Uh, then you have Jolie Richardson. Um, she is kind of our, our heroine of the film um, as Lieutenant Stark. You have Jason Isaacs, Sean Pertwee. Hell yes. Um, God, Sean Pertwee's always awesome. Yeah, I mean, you like, have... And- Rich- it, oh, no, as, ahead, yeah. And Sean Pertwee as the non-antagonist uh, like heel right, when Sam right. Neill is the antagonist, amazing. And that, because Sam Neill yeah. is so warm and nice and like a great guy, but then he just turns into like basically a Bond villain that's like demented and obsessed with hell. Well, awesome. he kind of he starts as your protagonist, or at least you think that's how it's going to be in a twist around. Um, but some of the rest of the cast, we'll get through that. Uh, Richard T. Jones is Cooper, the rescue technician. Cooper's amazing. Cooper is one of my favorite characters in this film, just because it's like, it's much needed comic relief in a very 
very dark, fucked up movie. You know, this is this is a very twisted film. Uh, then you have Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, the medical tech. What what more need be said? Yeah, exactly. Like, and then awesome. you have uh, Jack Noseworthy as Justin Ensign Ensign Justin. Um, yeah, man, he's he's great in this. And then you don't really see him in too much other stuff. Uh, I've seen him in a few things, like playing a bully character usually. Yeah, um, he's got that kind of a bully face. But anyway, yeah. it's it's such a good cast. Oh man, so well like so well played off against each other. And I I think like again. I would I would have put this cast in an early two thousands movie for sure. Right, not uh, not it, a not a late nineties film. It, it, it's if this movie had come out, yeah, five six years later, it would have been huge. Oh, uh, it absolutely but, would have, and it would have made a, so much more sense. And it also would have been a little cliche because all of these aesthetics right. I can easily point to in all of these other movies that have come out, in, like in like a decade after it comes out. Yeah. Uh, and like, let alone with all of the like interesting science fiction tropes and all of these actors going on to doing amazing work, this is kind of capturing them at kind of a crazy moment in their careers where they're just early enough before they've done all of that great work. Because like, again, name anybody else in this cast; they've done an iconic role that you know about. Uh, right. And well, it, so, I mean, this is you know, I, I also think the reason this movie didn't do well is because it was a bad time for space horror when you think about it. Um, you had like, which is help. a shame to me because that's probably one of my. When done right, it's probably <clears throat> one of my favorites. When done right, but you know we're no, and and sometimes it was done right, but it it wasn't resonating with audiences at the time. So you had Alien Resurrection come out the same year. Um, you had Dark City come out the next year, which isn't really horror as much. But then on top of that, you had and then like Hellraiser Bloodline. Oh, God, yeah. You know, so, you know, we had all these films that took place in space at the time, you know, that were, that were out, and some were good and some were bad. And I think that that space thing, and then Leprechaun 4 in space, granted straight to video, but it's a space film, and it was still... Nonetheless, yeah. It was still before this film, um, in, in Jason X in 2001. So, that time, it was like space and horror, they're, they're just a no-go. Even if the movie is good, it, it, was, it was a no-go. Um, yeah, but but I mean, again, I think I think let's jump into it because I yeah. really would like to like talk about some of my favorite parts of this movie because almost from the beginning we get it's it's pure uh, alien coming at the beginning of this. Like we have this awesome like I normally I don't like info dumps, but this is a fun like title card info dump, right? Sort right. of a la Terminator or Blade Runner, where you yeah. get this interesting like. Okay, we we've colonized the moon in 2015. Oh boy! Right, uh, so we're we're and... a little late, but 1997 we colonized the moon in 2015. Yeah, uh, and then when when did we end up colonizing or going out for deep like 2040 space something, something like or t- yeah. 2020 something? Oh no, I, yeah, uh, and then and then it gets to 2040 is when we're when we end up doing the deep space exploration. I think. Oh, exactly. and that's that's with the that's with the event horizon. Um, in 2040, so it was, it, yeah, it was this like a big experimental ship that got lost that was supposed to be revolutionary for inter like planetary travel. So, so the idea is they invented uh, a, a gravity drive, and this gravity drive is able to take you across space by folding time and space, and you can just kind of go straight through. The event horizon leaves in 2040. 
they are not he heard from for another seven years. So in 2047, they get a distress signal um, that disappeared because it was heading to Proxima Centauri, and it is now somehow appeared in the decaying orbit around Neptune, uh, which is really cool because it, one thing that you can't really do is create a thunderstorm type thing in space, but in this movie they did because the ship is like hovering in this decaying orbit of Neptune. So you get all of these storms uh, on Neptune going around. So you get that lightning. Granted, there is sound that you're hearing, which you, you, you really wouldn't. But that's beside the point. It's still cool as shit and totally helps with the vibe of this movie. Yes, absolutely. And again, th this uh, gravity drive, when explained by Sam Neill ripped almost wholesale in Interstellar. <laughs> like, right. I, I was so surprised to be like, oh, this is just exactly the same explanation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's used a lot in, in pop culture, uh, and a lot of people don't don't realize it, uh, for, you know, Event Horizon. Um, but yeah, so apparently what happens is, you know, we start off with Sam Neill. We think he's going to be our main character. We kind of get this nightmare that he's having because he's lost his wife. Um, and... You know, he, he gets this signal saying he's got to go uh, aboard the Lewis and Clark rescue vessel to check on the event or to check on the event horizon. And that's where we end up meeting the entire crew. And this is it's so cool. Like, I love the way we get to see the ship. We follow the crew around. You get to meet the crew and interact with them like you're part of it. You know, I feel like it's very immersive. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a very lived in type of vibe with this yeah. ship and everybody is well established. And Lawrence Fishburne, again, like very ambivalent about Sam Neill's even presence because mm -hmm. like we, we were pulled away from our job just to go way outside in deep space for this sort of rescue mission. We don't even really know if it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, like he he's really not into what what he what Sam Neill's putting down right now. And, you know, relatively so. Like, we have, like, animosity and good motivations. And it's well, well established because of these great actors that well, I, like... Well, see, I mean, and the thing is, this this crew was on leave. Like, they were on well-deserved leave, you know? Like, they had just gotten back. They were doing their thing. Each one had a reason to be home. Um, you know, some for sick family members and, and others just because of being there way too long. Um, and... The, you know, the, in this distress signal that they get, they play it through. And what's weird to me is they're like, yeah, we can't understand what the distress signal says. And I'm like, you guys didn't run this through already before you just jump on this thing to go there. So the doctor believes that he, he thinks it's Latin. And he says, it he thinks it's liberate me, you know, save me. Um, liberate me. Uh, so they... They're like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna go up to the event horizon, and it's such an amazing shot of them moving up to this ship because the ship is so intimidating looking, with this storm around it as they're moving up to the front. And the front looks like an evil face almost, with just how large it is, like it's this almost alien like creature, and then you know they dock onto the thing, and it's just it just gets crazy from there. Yeah, like, it, it just, it's massive. I again this this is again like almost straight up like taken from the, a movie that I love Sunshine by Danny Boyle right. uh, where the the crew needs to like investigate this like you know derelict from this experimental mm -hmm. type of situation and 
it gets more and more like disturbing from there. And like the types right. of horror that we're talking about here, it's a little jump scary. It's very moody, uh, atmospheric as well, and uh, kind of takes from the greats like that came before it, sure. like Alien and stuff like that, where uh, we experiment with tone and fear, but then we get into this crazy demonic stuff later that i i absolutely love yeah i mean it's it's psychological with visions at times like there are times you know sam neil's character as he's going around through this really cool corridor of circuit boards like this tunnel of, of circuit boards. oh it's that's so cool like it's just this bright green lit like it looks like uh that set from cube but green <laughs> right <laughs> like, but and tiny and very yeah, kind and of tiny. just crawl spaces and it looks and super cool but yeah, it makes but it, for it, oh, go ahead. Sorry, but and conceptually, it's it's like kind of dumb because you just took like those green circuit boards from like old computers and just made a maze out of it. Sure. But it's, it still looks great. Like like it doesn't matter. It's very stylized like that. Yeah, it's very it's very practical with what it is as well. You're not just overlaying some CG stuff happening in the background. It's physically there, which is great. And then the light lighting effects of it. Uh, lights cutting out and cutting on and then you get a little bit of a jump scare from his wife whose eyes are gone now there are some issues that i find with the cg a bit especially with her eyes um and then you know because it has that glossy look but then again for 1997 cg that's not bad i it, like i kind of can't fault it because again i thought this movie came out a lot later than it did and right. for what it, it for when it came out it's pretty good like i think the most awkward part was that uh liquid silver substance sure. that they clearly wanted to play with that was clearly new that they wanted to flex on well that was the, was that like, was yeah when he goes through and moves the coolant out of the way yeah like, it was the coolant. That, that's what it yeah, was yeah yeah it has a, it has a very strange look to it and you can kind of tell that that was actually what they were showcasing uh in the making of was moving the coolant out of the way and all the stuff floating and, yeah like and, that's a big technical brag i could just see because i'm like yeah. oh okay like you clearly just got this tech and like wanted to show it off somehow in a movie you know though, when this movie came out, if you were to rent this on an old school tube TV, it would it would look pretty good though. Oh, I bet it would look great. And, and when, I, when you and again, convert it to time, HD, I... it's so much harder to to keep it looking um, as good as it did at the time it came out. Exactly, and I can I can still easily imagine for the time that it was uh, pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at this point of the film, you know, everybody's having these strange visions. Uh, some people start to it's like their fears, their regrets, um, and and Captain Miller ends up seeing this guy who he left to die, um, who was burning to death, and during like a previous mission. So he keeps seeing this guy throughout. Kathleen Quinlan's character seeing her son, who has his legs are all mangled. He's been in a wheelchair, but she sees him, and that haunts her. Uh, and in these they start getting more and more deadly. At first, it's like you see these things, you're having weird hallucinations. But then after a while, it's not just hallucinations. These are almost manifestations that are coming out and physically attacking people, which ups the ante from your traditional haunted house type stuff to, you know, when it gets when it gets corporeal to the point where people are being sliced open and stuff like that, that that's pretty cool, you know? Oh, yeah, um, and it's the type of direction where that I thought this was going that invoked completely Hellraiser from the beginning. Because yes. it was very this, like, into mutilation and all of these yeah. crazy 
body horror things that I wasn't like it, it kind of took me aback because I would have thought that it was just like okay like ghost people or something like something simple but yeah. this is far more like oh so th- like the cl- the gate is like a portal into a hell dimension and the old crew went crazy and they couldn't like handle it like that's yeah. that's wild to think of when we're going into to this film you don't really know what to expect because you're thinking it's just going to be a haunted a haunted house film or a ghost ship basically which they ended up making that movie just like two years later or three years later terrible um a cool opening scene terrible movie but with this when you get to the portal that goes into this hell dimension and you find out that it's influencing people it influences uh the one dude um Justin, uh, to basically put himself in an airlock and just let himself out into space. Because he gets sucked into that black void. He gets sucked into that hell dimension when he op- when it opens. And they're saying, um, Sam Neill's saying, there's no way this could have opened. It's impossible. It, it could not have opened. Yet for some somehow it opened and it pulls uh, Justin into it. And then he is lost for a while until... Uh, Captain Miller goes after him and is able to pull him back in and gets him into the ship. But he is like, I mean, totally almost like catatonic when he comes out. Yeah, he's in shock. He's almost like in a shock coma, pretty much. Right. And then they, they don't know what to do with him. He later gets up and puts himself into the airlock and is going to launch himself out until he's snapped out of this thing. That scene is so cool when he gets launched out of the airlock. Yeah, and again, classic sci-fi stuff where like he's like they're in zero g and like it just flies into him. Uh, so cool, man! Because yeah, it's it's everything that leads up to it too. The blood coming out of the eyes. You're thinking he's going to explode or it's going to get way worse. So when he gets rescued, and you see the damage that's been done to him, he's had his veins, some of them burst open because of the depressurization. It's insane. And and then you kind of are like, all right, well, this is going to be a very twisted film. And from there, it just, it just gets crazier and crazier. And you realize that once they are able to look at the video and see what happened to this crew, it turned into a weird demonic satanic orgy where they're all having sex with each other, but like pushing their hands down each other's throats and ripping each other into pieces and shredding yeah, each other into it, bits. Like you see like half images of the these things from the video feed, and it mm-hmm. looks just grotesque enough where you can't quite make it out, but you know pretty much what's happening. That yeah. it's just all messed up and insane. And most of this is perfectly teased by a lot of the visions that Sam Neill has, because losing his wife. And then he gets more and more obsessed with this thing. He gets obsessed it, and, very quickly. And that's the thing. I don't know. It's tough to tell whether or not something was either possessing or influencing him, or if he had this motivation to begin with. And I think that's kind of the strength of how well written that was, because you could easily believe both sides. If the ship was pl- toying with him and making him more possessed, or you know, the portal was calling to him to make things right. open up more. Or if he was like, I just messed this entire mission up. I just want to see my wife in whatever way is necessary. And maybe this has some of the answers. Yeah, it seemed like he was he was kind of a vessel for this demonic force. Because, so, 
the they they're watching the video log, and at the end, the captain has ripped his eyes out and are holding them up at the camera, and they they figure out that what he said wasn't save us or save me, it's save yourself from hell. So they realize, well, shit, this gravity drive has obviously opened some sort of hell dimension, and it brought back that with it, and now it's trying to get us to to go back or, or to take us as well. Yeah, then basically, I guess because Sam Neill's character was dealing with so much, um, so much grief with his wife, it fully takes him over. He wants to do everything to keep the Event Horizon from getting destroyed because Miller's like, screw this, let's blow this thing up, and let's just, like, let's just go, you know? Yeah, and, and that's probably one of the better motivations of this movie where they finally take the agency to be like, fuck all this. And, mm -hmm. again, Lawrence Fisherman, whenever he just says, fuck this ship, uh, right. I'm like, absolutely, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down. Well, when, when when in a movie does a ship become sentient normally? You know, when a vessel right. comes back from hell and is sentient and is really trying to fully control them and either, you know, kill them or get them back into this hell portal. And it's su such a crazy-ass concept. And and then you start seeing people just being lured to their death one, one after another, pretty much. Uh, or just killed by people. You have uh, Peters, who she sees her son and... Good God, man! She just walks right off of the the tower, in in you know in the center unit with the with the core and just splatters into the ground. Her legs break out of her, out of her skin because of how she hits. It is extremely brutal. And then you know you have that followed up soon when, um, <clears throat> you have uh the DJ who is the the doctor basically just get gutted and hung up and strung around with all of his organs hanging out very hellraiser you have uh weir has also planted an explosive to kill smith destroy the lewis and clark and then cooper goes off into space and you're just like oh shit luckily cooper is able able to come back and it's amazing when he vents his pack and he's coming back uh and just launching himself back towards the the event horizon it's, it's such a cool moment, and it's funny, and it de definitely breaks the tension at that point. Um, <clears throat> man, but we just get to... This movie just ramps up. At the end, it just it, it goes to 11, and then it never stops. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think probably the only biggest hiccup that this movie might have is when we get to the ending. <clears throat> yeah. It sort of wraps up rather quickly and abruptly. Oh, it does, very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the first time that I felt rushed out of this movie right and now given the insane production time a transition like that is more than understandable uh i can't really fault it though because yeah. you know i've i've definitely seen worse endings uh but we get to see just like you know the last two surviving and then they get rescued and uh sure sure sam neil the, the dream of sam neil's mutilated face in the <clears throat> rescue agent uh which again amazingly designed yeah. space suits well before movie. we before we even get to that sam neil's character has has just cut himself into pieces he has mangled himself by this point he's gouged his eyes out he has slashed himself so he's covered in cuts and just gashes everywhere. His, mm -hmm. He shaved his head bald 
Um, he just, it, it's really just, he looks insane. And it's such a great character design for him because he's done to himself what the captain did to himself already, the previous captain of the Event Horizon. Uh, so when he takes over, and now he's much stronger too. So he's gotten this—he's gotten this energy or this evil from it that's fully taken him over. And then, you know, when uh, you have Cooper—not Cooper, but um, sorry—at the end you have so Stark and Cooper are like going off to do their own thing, and then you have Sam Neil or not Sam Neil, but Lawrence Fishburne's character, Captain Miller. Basically like, alright, cool, I'm gonna blow this ship in half, you guys get on this side, get in stasis, uh, and I'm gonna blow this ship back to hell. And he's basically just gonna sacrifice himself at this point. Super cool. And it's super, super cool. Sam Neill trying to, you know, not have it happen, but it blows up anyway, and it's just, it's this, I, I thought it was a really cool moment. Granted, yeah, you want more out of an ending. You want something to be more of this epic showdown, um, which there is a, there's a cool fight between them, but it's nothing that... Um, it's just a little bit of fisticuffs, and then the ship blows up. Right. That, and it, that's really all that we can say yeah. about it. And then we, you know, we get that kind of... Uh, little shock ending um sure which which is that cool th th which is impossible but also okay <clears throat> it's clearly a dream and she's yeah. just traumatized by it okay yeah i mean you got a Jul little jump scare ending yeah like julie richardson wakes up and you know she she thinks she's gotten out and she sees the security guy or the rescue team and the mask lifts up and da 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 it's sam neil and she screams and Right. Then it just ends. It just, you know it and goes to the you find out that she's actually okay. You see that um, Justin is still in his stasis chamber, so he's survived, and Cooper is holding her, like trying to calm her down. And then the door just closes, almost like the ship is still possessed or something. Right. And then bam, prodigy. Yep. <laughs> the bam. most ninety. The most late nineties ending prodigy. to a movie ever. Like, yeah, uh, damn, like that was too funny. Like, I I just burst out laughing when I heard Prodigy yeah. immediately. I was like, okay, this is a nineties ass movie. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, g great fun all, yeah. all around. I could not recommend this more. Like, it's such a good time. If you like even a cheesy scare, it's in there for you. If you, it, yeah. it's just it rides a great line between. A little bit schlocky, a lot of fun, and I can't really recommend it enough just for the cast alone yeah. and absurdly good direction from a director that I almost always write off as a joke. That's probably the craziest thing. Now I understand why he's got like a little bit of traction and legacy going on because this is a classic and it's frustrating that it was not received as well as it was back in its day and it's a lot of it is lost to time yeah i mean it's it's a very well-made film and it was yeah i mean anderson actually tried to make a director's cut and then it was you know because it had become popular and the studio's like hey man your, your movie's popular now uh let's make a director's cut and it's like cool man where's all the footage well here's a little bit of it cool i can i can release some deleted scenes awesome like that's and that's all they were able to really do from it uh, which which kind of sucks, but <clears throat> that being said, the thing that really amazes me about this movie is it's 
so its production design is so amazing given the short amount of time they had to do this and it does kind of show that necessity is the mother of all invention so when you have to make a movie given a very limited amount of time uh you will figure out a way to do it absolutely but yeah i guess to sum up uh, a solid recommend from me like this is probably one of my favorite movies that we've done on this podcast it's wow like one of like it's an absolute blast a real treat yeah this is uh this is definitely one of my favorite like super cheesy b movies that happens to be an a movie at the same you know like um so yeah it's it's a blast honestly i would love to see this film be redone as a series i think you could make it as a netflix series like an eight part netflix series and really delve into the psychological terror of this and it would be I, that's the only way that I would welcome a remake of this. And I, I yeah, I would like that a lot, actually. I, I think that's a, that's not normal. I think that's a, actually a pretty good idea. That's probably the best possible version of a continuation of this idea because we get to see a lot more of the explore, exploration of horror and space. Yeah. And, all of that stuff that we always love. Well, you kind of want an uh, episode, you want an episode just to what happens on the event horizon that day during the mid during the voyage so it's like you get that one hour of tv in just the the flashback to what happened on the event horizon and everything that left to it led to it and if you want to follow it up and make it weird have them actually go through the gateway into hell and then have them try to get out of that, or that's like part of an episode as well. Because it doesn't have to stick exactly to it in the story. It's the idea of, you know, a spaceship that has this gravity drive leads you into hell. And and that's, that's a lot of fun. But granted, now that Doom is so popular as a game, and that's come out as a film, they'll probably end up being like, well, just make a Doom movie instead. So, Which, you know, given the right hand, might not be Given the bad. right hand, but last time we did a Doom movie, no thanks. You're right. All right, yeah. as much as we love The Rock, we yeah, we could do better. Mm, yeah, we could do, we could do way better. You know what? Let's remake it with The Rock. Again, <laughs> we'll get it right this Easy time. Easy bet. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, I'm, I'm not opposed. Hey, not man, it, opposed it, at it, all. Anything is possible. I think that'll do it for us for this week so yeah what do we uh what do we have on the docket for next week steve next week we have the excellent james gunn classic slither Ooh, that's uh, came a fun out in one the, in the mid 2000s and oh boy do i like that one a lot yeah that's a good one so uh yeah we're gonna dive into that so guys if you haven't seen slither yet make sure to watch that uh before we uh talk about it next week's podcast because as always we will do a ton of spoilers Absolutely. Be sure to check us out wherever you get your podcasts, as you're listening to right now. Uh, feel free to give us a review if you like it so much, because we would all, that always helps out the show quite a bit. Uh, if you want any questions or concerns, you can email us at ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com, as well as check us out on Twitter and Facebook with all of those types of handles as well. Uh, and that is going to do it for us this week. I have been Steve Allman. And I've been Rob Holmes. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.